Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. <laughs> Tommy, Ocean Chinook or Puget Sound Coho, what is your palate favorite? And you drop yeah. that kokanee on top of that barn door halibut's head, 67 feet of water, and he was not happy about that. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Boxers or briefs? Ooh, I'm going to have to go with a European cut speedo. Fantastic. Excellent choice. I yeah. love tuna. I do love tuna. Heck yeah! <laughs> hey, you know, I have a buddy who refers to Canadian geese as flying carp. Obviously, he's not cooking them. <laughs> he clearly, right? Oh, ocean snook. Seriously? Hands down. Really? Hands down. I don't fish for coho. Ah, good point. Hey, speaking of grind, can you tell the difference between ground deer and ground elk? Honestly, taste the difference. You know, Dwayne, we only get one chance to live this life, mm -hmm. and you will always regret the things that you don't do. So you know what I tell people? Buy the damn boat. Hey, you know, the facts are some days are just a grind. Welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, the number one fishing and hunting talk show throughout the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Now here's your host, Dwayne England, and of course, the infamous Tommy Donlan. Hey, good evening and welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, Dwayne England and Tommy Donlan. Hey, hey. Sing to my media, right? That's right. Yeah, so good to see you again. Can you believe, I, I think I said it last week too, but man, the weeks are flying by. They are. Well, we've got a full schedule too. We got a full schedule. Yeah. And you know, I think when uh, when you get on the road, like I did this last week, myself and DJ, we headed down and fished with Kyle mm -hmm. down in Oregon. You spent a couple of days down there and you come back a day or two at work. Next thing you know, here we are Thursday. Right. And it is Thursday. We are live from the Fish on Northwest studio, 6 p.m. every Thursday from the lovely shores of Summit Lake here in Olympia, Washington. So glad you could all join us. Um, and yes, as Tommy mentioned, lots of info to get through tonight. Holy smokes, it's like this stuff writes itself. I know, it's every every week it's something new, something's going on. And we got, you know, a full load again tonight. We've yeah. got a pretty, pretty sweet. I, I, you're going you're gonna to run down the show, so I don't want to steal. I'm going to run down the show. I don't want to steal your thunder. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll, yeah, we'll get to it. But uh, got some great guests lined up. Got a lot of information that's very important to put on the radar of many. Some of this stuff spend the week posting up on our Facebook page and social media, mm -hmm. try and generate some conversation about things happening that you need to be made aware of. Little insight, you know, lead sessions back in. This is where some of this stuff comes mm -hmm. from for the next uh, 60 days or so. There will be some things going on. We, as passionate persons who fish and hunt, need to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to get it anywhere else. We're going we're gonna to dissect that stuff. We're going to get the guests on, Fish Out Northwest, that help you understand the importance of understanding what it is truly going on. Right? And, and we're not afraid to talk about the hard issues. And we've no. got yet another hard issue that we're going to cover tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Week yep. in and week out. Like I said, this stuff writes itself. We're just here to present the information, open form, let you guys decide what you want to do with it. So um, with that, there are a few things going on. Like I said, just got back from Oregon, had a great time down there with Kyle Bushelman, uh, got on the river for a day and just uh, we got into got into a handful of fish. Uh, fishing was better down there a week or two prior, but we did OK. We scratched out a decent number of fish, caught a random uh, bright coho. Really? Mid-January, midway up the Lost. river. Yeah, there were a handful of coho getting caught that week by a number of boats and stuff. So they get a okay. late run pushing into January down there yeah. off of the Oregon coast. That's pretty uh, pretty interesting to see. But all in all, the weather was great. We had a great uh, fishery. We're going to get Kyle on later. We'll, we'll jump into that. But just um, it, I was I was kind of reflecting back. Uh, so I was going to head out and fish tomorrow. I was going to run out to the coast, jump in with buddy Jared Cady, uh, get him dry fishing company, get him dry jigs. Longtime friend. And we fish together a couple times a year. Um, we want to bring to you guys some out in the field, on the water, really detailed information on jig fishing, presentation, color, water conditions, all those things that Jared is so good at doing. Well, those plans were blown out the blowing out the door first thing this morning we got up mm -hmm. and they had already gotten two inches of rain out there on the coast and and things are uh things are definitely on the straight up uh on the gauge so we'll we'll put that off till maybe next week but that takes me back to hey we are fishing some of our rivers i think we're going to be on a river where we have to get out of the boat to fish mm -hmm. we can only utilize one presentation um you know a single barbless hook presentation with no bait no sand 
one jig, one bead, one worm, what have you. Mm -hmm. I'm down there fishing in Oregon. We're throwing dual rigs, bobber dog and dual rigs, which is conducive to more presentation in the water. Bait and scent if you want to use it all day long. Fishing out of the boat. Yeah, fishing out of the boat. Isn't that a unique and novel idea? So there's yeah. reasons for that, and that's why we have Kyle on tonight to talk about it. And I'm hopeful... As we get into next week, Tommy, I'm trying to line up a guest to do a comparable on what we got going on down in Oregon, what we are doing here in Washington to mm -hmm. hopefully start boosting our steelhead numbers a little bit. Yeah. So that's kind of the takeaway from there. But we're going to get into that a little bit later in the show here. A um, couple things. Hey, we got to remind you guys, if you're a hunter, uh, you got to be got to be cognizant of some dates. Got some timestamps you mm -hmm. got to adhere to. Uh, all hunters, regardless of your success in the field, you must submit hunting reports for each transport tag you purchase, we're talking deer, elk, turkey, what have you, mm -hmm. any type of transport tag that you purchase in the realm of hunting, you're required to submit that no later than January 31st. Failure to meet the deadline can result in a $10 reporting fine per tag. Yeah, yeah. that can add up pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, if you're holding on to five yeah. tags because you get these multiple uh, opportunities, I mean, there's an extra 50 bucks out of pocket. Let's face it. It's expensive enough. Yeah. So make is. sure you get your reporting, and it's never been easier. Get on WDFW. You can set up your online account, mm -hmm. and you simply sit there at your computer, and you just put in all your information, which unit you're hunting from, success or not. It walks you through it all, uh, no matter what animal or species you're going after. So please, ladies and gentlemen, get on there prior to uh, the 31st and submit uh, submit those uh, reports and along the same lines, we got our cat trucker cards for crab due by February first as well. Winter crab, winter crab. That's right. Yep, that's and, right. Uh, failure to report on that is ten dollars, and it's just remember it's only for Puget Sound. So if you crab in the ocean or Columbia River, yeah, you're good to go. It's yeah. just if you bought Puget that Puget Sound crab endorsement um, that you have to report, whether you got any crab or not. Um, and they don't really care if you didn't report because next time you buy a crab license, it's going to be an extra 10 bucks. 10 bucks. Yep. $10 extra. Yep. And let's face it, they make a ton of money on that too, by the way. They do. They, <laughs> they do. make a ton of money. Um, okay. Uh, one thing I want to remind folks, hey, uh, we're still still working with and still supporting, why wouldn't we, Tommy? Fisherman's Brew. Uh, Fisherman's Brew Coffee. If you have not, please listen to us. Go pick yourself up some. Get online, fishermansbrew.com. Order yourself up some uh, steelhead blend or the king salmon blend. Both are fantastic. Should be in your thermos, whether you're this time of year on the boat, uh, bank fishing on the river, in the duck or goose blind, what have you, as January winds down. Fisherman's Brew, help us support small companies in the Northwest. And 5% of the monies go towards salmon recovery. Very important in today's modern society. So check them out, fishermansbrew.com. Please, uh, please help us out to help them. Uh, Tommy, I want to take a minute here to reflect on something that uh, that happened this uh, this last week, and we lost we lost a good guy. Yeah, we lost a good guy, Carl Wendell, uh, friend and fisherman guide, extremely extremely great individual, just a good human being. I met him several years ago down at the Puyallup Sportsman Show back in the day when we were doing the Wild Country booth. Mm -hmm. And our booth was right next to Carl. He was promoting his uh, black bear hunting. Probably one of the top black bear outfitters in the state of Washington, hands down. Possibly on the West Coast for this region because he was so dialed. Born and raised in Forks. Grew up in the outdoors, essentially, right? With a fishing pole in one hand and a, and a, and a rifle in the other. And the guy just flat out got it done. Uh, historically, if I wanted to talk pursuit of trophy steelhead and how to be successful. He's one of the guys on my call list. If I wanted to talk black bear, uh, he's number one on my call list. And he would he would come forward with the information, man. In his own right, a successful hunter, uh, a, a damn good guide, and just a really good human being. Father, um, you know, husband of Julie, baseball coach, full of life, love the Lord, just a very, very good man. And uh, unexpectedly, we lost him, very sad about this whole thing and uh, it shook it shook many in the fishing and hunting industry just because he's a standout and so I just want to pay our respects to, to his family and Carl we're going to miss you buddy uh, for all that you stood for and all that you've done uh, in the outdoors and in fishing in general uh, you're going to be missed so uh, for what it's worth uh, all right uh, with that Tommy running down the show we got a busy one man lots uh, lots happening as it is each and every week um, we'll start off rolling out of here uh, after the break. We're going to dial up buddy Kyle Bushelman, Willamette Valley Outfitters. Uh, steelhead fishing on the Oregon coast 
Broodstock and hatchery steelhead programs, what we can learn. That's going to be kind of our comparable. What they're doing down there in Oregon, why they're so successful, and what possibly we can take away from there. Then we're going to close out the show, Tommy. This is some of the issues that you and I are following. Our good friend Ron Garner, president of PSA, Puget Sound Anglers. There are some Senate and House bills currently being moved forward in the legislative process. They're coming out of the uh, Natural Resources Committee uh, that we as recreational fishing uh, need to need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And we're going we're gonna to work with Ron to break that down. And hunting as well. And hunting yeah, as that, well. It affects both sides of the house. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So there's a lot going on there. There's a lot we need to pay attention to. We're going to bring that to you as we wind down the show this evening. Please stay tuned and pay attention to that. There's some action items you can take as a concerned hunter or fisher in the state of Washington. As we support each other, whether you're an avid hunter or fisher, um, as as in the spring bear hunt debacle, mm-hmm. we were advocating for those that recreate on the waters to show your support. In this realm here, on these uh, fishing issues and commission issues, we're asking for all participants to pay attention, and we're going to give you some action items to, uh, to move forward this evening that are already posted up on our social media, and Ron's going to have some bit of information for you as well. So, tons to get to. We're going to do just that. We'll jump out for a couple-minute break. When we come back. Our buddy Kyle Bushelman, going to dial him up from down there in Oregon. We spent a uh, better part of a day on the water with him on the Oregon coast, um, steelhead fishing, of course. And we are going to really kind of dial down into this broodstock program. Yeah, and compare notes between you know what they have and what we have. Yeah. It's going to be good. And why they're successful. And a lot of you guys have been asking as of late, why don't we do more broodstock program here in Washington State? Uh, hopefully we can answer that in the next couple of weeks. But for now, we're going to focus on the success of Oregon and perhaps what we can learn. Kyle Bushelman, we come back right here, Fish on Northwest. Sportco and Outdoor Emporium is the largest local outfitter in the Northwest since 1975, providing thousands of people affordable outdoor gear. Make your next outdoor adventure more affordable by shopping at our warehouse style pricing. We are a local Scotty dealer offering sales, service, and repair. Located in Fife and Seattle, Come visit us today. The outdoors await you. It's easier than ever to browse homes and connect with an agent on the go with Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate's mobile app. With the app, your home search is synced across all of your devices, so you can pick up your home search anytime, anywhere. Take full advantage of an enriched, mobile-optimized map search experience. Use location services to quickly find homes near you that match your search criteria. Draw your own map boundaries to find homes in a specific area, and apply layers to view school districts, neighborhoods, zip codes, and more. The app's user-friendly design makes it easier than ever to find a home you'll love. Narrow down your search results, save your search criteria, and save your favorite homes. You can browse your saved homes in a list view that puts photos and key details, like price and square footage, right at your fingertips or check out your saved homes displayed on the map. Hey, welcome back in studio here, Fish on Northwest, winning on Tommy Donlin. Uh, Tommy, in our backyard, presented by Phoenix Protective Corp. Check out everything they have going on at phoenixprotectivecorp.com. Next on the phone, next in the hot seat, good good buddy, longtime friend, and a phenomenal guide, Kyle Bushelman, Willamette Valley Outfitters. How you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. I know you're uh, you're at your daughter's soccer game, and you're willing to step out and jump on the phone with us to kind of recap the day we had here uh, earlier in the week or last weekend, I guess it was now. So, uh, yeah. a couple things I'd like you to I'd kind of like you know people know I was down there fishing with you once again. We've done this annually now for I don't know four or five years or something, and right. I come down there for a purpose, right? We enjoy trying to help out with that recognized broodstock program that you have on another number of rivers and. You know, there's a pretty robust hatchery opportunity at times, but I kind of want you to describe how the broodstock program works uh, on the Oregon coastal rivers, and if there's still really a difference between what you guys recognize as broodstock, uh, hatchery program, and or, you know, the wild fish component. Right. Well, you know, we have a pretty good central coast from Tillamook down to the Siletz River, a pretty good program with the brood. Uh, part of that's the biologists we have with ODFW. They're fishermen. They are helping us out. They listen to the feedback, and they've learned that these fish that we're using, these wild fish, I don't call them natives because they've all been tampered with, but wild fish, gravel to gravel, we're using these fish and uh, creating the next 
generation of hatchery fish so that we have a retention possibility. Um, and on the Celeste River, our program starts from December till April. Mm. What, what's neat about this is we got keeper steelhead all the way into April, and it spreads out the run. And so they do a pretty good job of letting us know how many pairs per month we want to do. I think we're up to 18 pairs this month. I could be wrong. It varies based on what they need because they get them at the traps sometimes up there at the falls and the slats, and they also get them from a guide. There's eight of us guides that have boxes, live wells, that they've provided for us. They've bought them for us. They've got us cradle nets and everything so that oh. we have a safe program. And it's just been a really good uh, – it's nice when you're you're participating in a program. Everybody tends to uh, value the resource a bit, you know. And um, we're seeing the rewards of it. We have lots of fish returning this year, and it's a direct relation to the broodstock efforts of the, of the guides and um, Paul at ODFW out of LC. And he manages the uh, uh, slower basin right now. So speaking of participation, um, who all can take part in this program and how big of a role do the guides play uh, in the broodstock program? Well, just like many things, I don't want to have too many people with the guides. There's a lot of accountability because we're licensed. We do have to have a state police license to transport wild fish. So mm. you can't have a box without one of these permits. And so they, and Paul and ODFW is, manages all that for us. So it's really nice, but, you know, I mean, I'm going to a derby here on the Umqua in another week, and I get to use this whole system for the South Fork of the Umqua. We're going to, we're trying, they're doing brood stock down there now. And so the state of Oregon is doubling down on brood stock, and what we're seeing is incredible opportunity. And if you guys have heard, I mean, Tillamook Bay, Tillamook River are doing well. Nestucca is doing well. Celeste mm-hmm. is doing well. South Fork has seen a, a fair amount of hatchery returning fish already, and those are all because of broodstock. Um, and it's neat. By doing this, we have a staggered run. It wasn't like that traditional run back in the 80s where it was that, I think, the Scaminia strain on the, or the Alcee strain where those fish came in November through December, January, then the wild fish came. Now it's we have these fish coming throughout the whole season, and genetically they're as close as you can get to quote unquote wild fish. Mm-hmm. And, um, our success rates about 96 or greater percent for these wild fish that we get spawn them at the hatchery and return them to the river alive. That's amazing that we're, we're able to spawn fish and return them. Um, we've had mortality rates with the learning curve on transporting, but we've got it down. Um, you know, for the most part, it's a, positive program so we'd like to see the whole state go to it and the funding issue i'm sure but there's no reason why all the rivers should not be doing something similar you know yeah absolutely i mean it makes sense Kyle. so i i think some numbers you threw out at us last time your mortality rate is probably less than two percent uh which is right. phenomenal um compared comparatively where we utilize a 10 percent mortality on catch and release of wild fish here for recreational anglers on the river, which is concerning and way over projected, but I understand it. They want to have uh, an insurance policy to make sure we're not under uh, estimating right. on this. So that's, that's a totally different topic. But what I want you to kind of drill down on here is you are, we are catching, you know, I've, I've come down there successfully, uh, caught some of the wild unclipped fish that we've retained right. in the, in the box. Uh, last year we got a decent buck to enter into the program and we dropped that right. off at the holding pen and then, you know, truck to the hatchery and all. So we are catching and retaining, you know, healthy mid-teener unmarked fish. These fish go into right. the hatchery. They're paired up. They're, they're live spawned for release. Now those egg, the egg take that they get, is this a hundred percent marking rate or is there a percentage of those released, obviously unclipped for future broodstock harvest? and a percentage of them that are released uh, clipped for hatchery retention, or how does this work? I think if we're, I th- as far as I'm aware, our the eggs that we're using from broodstock are used 100%. Um, I don't have a complete numbers. I know the last year's show off the top of my head, it might change a little bit, but, you know, they're using, using all of the we get and, you know, and they're not taking more than they need. I mean, 18 pairs or 13 pairs or nine pairs or whatever they're doing each month. They, they vary each month based on what the need is. Um, 
they're getting what they need out of it in terms of uh, smolt, ultimately smolt to put in the river, yeah. successful smolts. And, you know, it is a, we're seeing it right now. I mean, it's been, it's been a number of years since we've seen this many hatchet fish returning. Years prior, eight, nine, seven, eight years ago, we were having a lot of no returns because we had issues with traditional hatchery system with, you know, incubators and generators and just aging systems. And we've, Oregon, we have grants, our license dollars goes to grand opportunity and they're out there for, for the taking, you know, and we've done a pretty good job with the Celets. Um, last, we have a the Celets Anglers Association. We did a fundraiser and we helped fix the, uh, the holding pond that, we put all this, the, the rearing pond where we hold them right before we dump them so they can acclimate, the acclimation pond, so to speak. Sure. Up there at Palmer, that was done with fundraised dollars to help with ODFW, too. So there's a lot of in-basin work, locals in the flats, Newport, uh, Willamette Valley guys that all go there that are all participating to help, you know, kind of have a gem, you know, on the central Oregon coast. I yeah. mean, it's hard to beat you know and the fish and like on our trip we just did we caught wild fish but we want to have the best fish in there so we let our they were bright nice shiny healthy wild fish but the size wise we were looking for bigger fish so we we chose not to contribute we let those fish swim and if we would have got bigger fish we would have contributed so we get to kind of grade as we go you know so it's been it's so far we're on track for what we have, I guess. Yeah. So talk, talk a little bit about the hatchery programs as well. Yeah. On these river systems, these Oregon coastal rivers, do you have a mix of, you know, you've got the broodstock program. Um, do do each of these rivers also have a typical hatchery program? How does that work? Well, some do. I know the site is pretty old school. It does. They have a step program, um, Mm. but it's not a, I wouldn't call it a broodstock program, but, um, you know, you get down south to the elk. Um, they have a they have a hatchery on the Elk River, so they have a hatchery program there. Um, I'm not sure if the South Coast. I know the guys on the Chetco are brute stocking down there. I know Andy Martin and those guys do that. Yeah, but for the most part, the Oregon coast has gone exclusively to brute stock, from what I understand. We used to identify our fish. You know, we used to clip fins to identify which ones are which maxillary cuts, uh, ventral fin cuts. We don't do that no more oh. because we know what our fish are. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So, the evolution of the program, right? So let me ask yeah. you this, Kyle. Uh, can you think of anywhere in Oregon currently where you guys are experiencing cutbacks and programs, you know, access restrictions, gear restrictions? Um, God forbid you don't get to fish out of your boat. Any of that going on in Oregon? No, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Now, do you, the only areas that we have closures are, are in conjunction with Washington, like the Columbia River above yeah. Bonneville. You know, the steelhead fishing's closed. Sure. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of factors up there that are causing that. But in terms of inland Oregon, you know, like down the Willamette Valley, you know, where we have the Willamette Basin rivers, and then on the coast, we're seeing more opportunity. I mean, at least from what I'm aware of and what I'm seeing, we're not, I mean, we're seeing more people fishing. Um, it's really been a positive experience. We have a lot of free fish days for people, even if it's just regular trout fishing in Oregon. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the big thing is we still have some outdoorsmen at ODFW. I mean, we always, we complain. We have our issues at ODFW. just <laughs> right. like every other are not. Right, right. But for the most part, the people that I've been dealing with are pretty positive. I mean, if it, if it wasn't for my, I had an elk tag to go for Mount Emily, which is a coveted tag. The biologist was incredible. If you draw a sheep tag, the biologists are there helping you nice. figure out where to go. That sounds it's pretty amazing. Really, yeah, that is amazing. What about the commission so numbers? Maybe we can get a few Don't of those. get going on that. We ain't got <laughs> yeah, time for all that. It's not all, it's not all doom and gloom in right. the state of Oregon right. and in our bureaucracies, but there are things that we can do better management, but you know, we are doing okay. I mean, yeah. there's things that we can do better at, but we are doing this with what we have. We're doing okay. We're not getting rid of brute stock programs. We're at that's a good thing sure yeah well you know you, you talked about doom and gloom you know to some extent um we are seeing a bit of that up here in the state of washington mm-hmm. i'm curious with the the current state of our steelhead fishery up here are you seeing more washington plates down your way absolutely i i've for years i've seen i've had i have a amount of washington clients that come down here they'll make their trips and stuff and 
Um, I don't know. I've seen a lot of them near Pacific City, too. I think that's a hub for Washingtonians. So <laughs> the Tulane Bay Area and stuff like that. Um, but there's, I mean, it's just like the guiding situation in the Columbia. I mean, you can't, you have to have a charter license to go below Longview. And so that's why all those guys are going out Astoria. When, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just different. Oregon and Washington are just different. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we can go on all day about it. But, you know, in terms of, I mean, not being able to fish from a boat, close rivers, it's, it, it doesn't seem to prove that it's effective. Sure. Because the fish numbers aren't changing. Yeah. It's a very good uh, point. We're seeing better habitat in Oregon. I mean, I'm going to the Umqua tournament. It's the Enhancement Derby. It starts in a, another week and a half. And it's the timber companies along Douglas County that contribute to this. And it raises upwards of 70. Uh, we just lose Kyle? I think we might have lost him. Oh, I think we might have lost Kyle. Okay, well, uh, great information from him as always. Getting close to wrapping it up anyhow, so uh, good time to uh, to stop. But they got some really good stuff going on down there. Yeah, they do. Uh, we're going to do our, our very best to try and get communications with WDFW in the uh, aspect of uh, uh, the brood stocking that is actually going on here in Washington State and kind of do a comparable, see where we're at perhaps hopefully where we're going, if there's any plans to expand those programs in the future. So uh, good information for Kyle. You know, look him up, Willamette Valley Guide Service, um, Willamette Valley Outfitter, excuse me. Uh, check him out on Facebook um, and, and look up his webpage. He's always looking to book trips, though if you're lucky enough to find an opening to get in his boat, you are uh, lucky to spend a day on the water with him. All right, we're going to jump out for a break, Tommy. We come back, we're going to have buddy Ron, Ron Garner, president of Puget Sound Anglers, on the phone, we have a number of topics to cover. Most of these have to do with some of the bills being pushed out of uh, legislation. Most of them, I think, are tied up in committee right now. We're going to explain all that to you when we come back here. But these are ones you need to pay attention to. While we jump out for commercial break, hit up all your friends, all those that are passionate about fishing, especially fishing here in Washington State and uh, some of the things going on with the commission. People need to hear this stuff and need to know what to do so please jump on your your friend's train and get uh, get the get the phone train going. Get everybody on here to listen to this information. It's important that we get it out there, and we want you to follow. Jump out for a two-minute break or so. We'll be back right here in studio with Ron Garner, Fish on Northwest. We come back. A Northwest favorite for almost 40 years, Arima boats are manufactured with pride right here in Bremerton, Washington. Arima Boats offers all of our boats with Honda outboard packages so that you can take full advantage of the reliability and five-year top-to-prop warranty from your Honda outboard. With literally thousands of Arima Boats on the water throughout the Pacific Northwest, Arima Boats are a proven hull design that offers incredible fuel economy and all of the amenities that a serious angler is looking for. All Arima boats are built without any structural wood materials. That is why we back our boats with a lifetime warranty. All of our Arima boats are designed to maximize deck space while also providing ample seating. Contact us today at Arima Boats for all your boating needs and let us help you get out on the water. Today, the need for quality private security services is at an all-time high. Contract Security Service provides day-to-day -day peace of mind as they protect people and property. Here at Phoenix, we provide service for multiple state and federal contracts with services ranging from uniform, patrol, alarm monitoring, canine detection, executive protection, as well as investigative work. Phoenix client management models are built on understanding our client's security needs and responding with a tailored program that is best fit for them. Phoenix provides excellent customer service through well-trained, highly motivated security professionals. Recruiting highly qualified officers is the first step in building a strong team. Currently, we are comprised of 70% prior law enforcement and military veterans. If you are prior military or law enforcement, go to www.phoenixprotectivecorps.com and apply today. Hey, welcome back, Fish on Northwest. Winning on Tommy Dolan here in studio, winding down the show. Uh, our current guest on the phone joining us before we get out of here tonight, Ron Garner, not a stranger to the show, Tommy. Uh, we've had him on a few times. President of Puget Sound Anglers. Thanks for joining us tonight, Ron. How are you doing? 
Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, doing really well. Yeah. Really well. Yeah. Well, we've talked uh, talked here recently. There's a number of things going on in Olympia, as we know. Legislative session is in session for their 60-day here winter time. And uh, there's a number of things coming out of Natural Resources Committee, both on the Senate side and the uh, the House side. We're going to kind of break a couple of these down. The first one I want to start with, Senate Bill 5721, titled Consolidating Natural Resources Management Under the Commissioner of Public Lands. And I want to, I want to read a brief uh, summary here so folks understand what we're talking about. Uh, it says, therefore, legislation finds that consolidating management of natural resources under the commissioner of public lands by having the commissioner appoint the directors of the Department of Fish and Wildlife and State Parks. They say that this would create a decision-making structure and provide for public accountability. Now, for me, here are some, here is some of the concerning verbiage that I want you to kind of dissect for us. The legislator further finds that having the commissioner of public lands appoint the members of the, and here's the change, the Fish and Wildlife Advisory Commit, or Commission and having the commission serve in an advisory role to the direction of the relevant agencies. Um, they also put in there, the director of Fish and Wildlife shall be appointed by the commissioner of public lands. The commissioner of public lands shall appoint the director of the Department of Fish and Wildlife and appoint the members of the fish, and here it is again, Fish and Wildlife Advisory Commission. So they're changing the title of the actual commission of how they recognize it. And to me, in reading through this entire bill, they want to put the appointee of the director of Fish and uh, WDFW and appoint all the persons on the commission uh, under the overseership of the Commissioner of Public Lands, who currently would be Hillary Franz. Okay, so first of all, this is the most dangerous one there is. Yeah. Um, let's let's drop back to 1995. Referendum 45 we did was a vote for a vote by the people to have their own say into the Department of Fish and Wildlife. That vote was won by 61 percent. That way, you don't have the governor or any other legislators calling the shots. This is the people's voice to be able to have access to WDFW. They work with the commission. Mm -hmm. The commission hires and fires a director, sets policy, mm -hmm. and this is how we work. Now, if what, the way this is being done is the director is now appointed, so he's selected by a certain person, mm -hmm. and then the commission basically gets neutered. They're nobody. They're advisors only. If, right. if nobody wants to them, you don't want to listen to them. They lose all power. Who would want to be a commissioner? Okay, let's go to the next step. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? This is happening because we removed HSRG out of the commission policy. Now, mm -hmm. that was very uh, well taken by a lot of people that make a lot of money off of salmon recovery. Right. Honestly, if there was a yardstick for all the money spent and what the recovery is, it would not be a good a good um, showing. Right. So there's kind of a word called salmon recovery industry in some of this. You know, it's an industry to keep this funding. And I sit with a lot of different people, a lot of groups, and a lot of them I see more money than fish working on fish, and that really disturbs me. Yeah. So this is a way to get rid of, you know, un unhappiness, go in, get the third party you know, this is the main ones are third party, but to do this is to totally take power over WDFW. So if you can remove all the power from WDFW, you can call the shots. Now these other bills are gonna have a little bit of this, but I wanna make sure that everybody understands what's going on. Um, when, you, when you take the power away from WDFW and the people, and you start putting a third party, or you put it under a governmental person, there's administration changes every four years a lot of times. So yeah. DFW is moving along a set of lines and all of a sudden a new legislature or a new person in this uh, public lands comes in. Hey, that isn't my intent. Scrap all that. This is what we're going to do now. You're going to, it's going to be more dysfunctional than it is now. That's a very big thing to think about that every four years, your Department of Fish and Wildlife could be changing gears to another way. So it's never gonna be workable ever again. There's, uh, there, there's, there's no upside to this entire 
idea here and how they've constructed this particular bill. Again, one, and we're frustrated with the current process based on the person who is appointing said individuals to the commission, but that is, uh, that is something that can be resolved, but it can't be resolved by simply deferring the person in charge of appointing persons to the commission seats, not confirming, but appointing. And then also, uh, now you're also taking the same individual and they select the directors of these different divisions. It's just too much under one thing, not to mention, what did we learn historically, Ron, when we took game management and fisheries management and put them under one umbrella of fish and wildlife that, that proved to be, early on especially, uh, a debacle that a lot of folks were saying, what do we do here? Now we're going to take this massive pro- project that is WDFW uh, and the overseers and we're going to cram it all under DNR, under one individual. To me, none of this to me and Tommy makes any sense at all. Yeah, one one thing that's kind of funny that I'm going to say is uh, uh, Mike Cynthia was a friend of mine that was uh, one of the enforcement officers, and he used to go in. He was before he left retired. He was going in and still changing laws and rules from the old game department and fish department. They still aren't fully changed and, and up to speed yet. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do this all over again. Right. You know, right. Or, I just I think this is a very very bad thing because you don't ever know who's going to be the director who's going to appoint. But if you have the commission the way it is, it kind of gets rolling along the guidelines. And the biggest problem with the commission right now is the way it's being staffed right. or not staffed, right. and who they're staffing. Yes, uh, are they reasonable people? Do they come with an agenda to not hunt and not fish? I mean, there's a big movement all over the U.S. to take over game departments and try and neuter them, and this fits right into what's happening, just like the spring bear hunt. You saw, if you look, there was a, an, an email that went out to all the different environmentalists to basically come in and gang up on the commission to, to knock down that bear hunt. So only a couple of hunters knew about it. They got on, it was a 40 to two count. Yeah, and you, as, know? you know, that brings us perfectly to the next bill, um, Ron. So Senate Bill 5656. Um, this one is concerning fish and wildlife commission members. And as you mentioned, you know, I, I would have said it was already in turmoil when we had an open east side seat that wasn't filled, um, let alone, you know, having Fred Koontz and Lorna Smith on the commission. Um, you know, obviously we saw how that, as you noted, we saw how that bear vote went. It was a four to four tie. Um, the thing that blew my mind, you know, obviously was Larry Carpenter's vote. Um, a lot of folks hypothesized that um, it was politicized uh, because he was not confirmed as the chair of the commission. So he a lot of people believe that he was under political pressure as well. Um, and then, you know, the fact that a tie vote leads to a non-season instead of staying with the status quo is also mind blowing. But now you've got folks on the commission that are making these emotional decisions, um, not not data-based objective decisions, are making emotional decisions, right? And um, we saw that again in terms of the blues elk crisis um, down in the southeast corner of the state. But this bill right here that's being presented, um, here's the concerning language of it. I'll read it to you. If the Senate does not confirm an appointment within 12 months, the appointment to the commission expires and the governor must provide a new appointment. And, and to me, the way this reads is like, hey, if, if you're appointed and, uh, you know, you better do what I tell you to do uh, in this first year. And if you do, I'll confirm you. And if you don't, I guess I'll be looking for a new commission member. How do you take this one? I see it just like you do. It's have mm-hmm. your cake and eat it too. <laughs> if I don't like you and you're under me. And you're not voting my way because, you know, there's speculation with Carpenter. And it's not that he's not confirmed as much as he's expired. Right, right. He's expired and he's replaced any time. The Senate confirmation only keeps him from getting fired by the governor. And so right here, now they're using the confirmation process for Senate, too. Now now they're pulling a little bit more of their own power in. They're they're trying to nudge their way in Mm -hmm. and do a little more ownership. So let's say I'm a... um, I'm a vegan and I don't like hunters and I don't like, um, fishing. I don't like any of this stuff. Let's just say, okay. So this spring bear hunt rolls out and it gets, or some other hunting thing comes out. And I see people on the commission that are, are being, you know, they're listening to their constituents and they're talking pro hunting. Well, let's see. Um, 
I don't like what you're doing. You know, if you really want to keep your seat past that one year, you better start voting my way. Right. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't, then I'm just not going to confirm you. Then you're fired. So mm-hmm. that's too much power from one person. No, that's got to go. Well, yeah, because, you know, lobbyists will get a hold of these senators sitting on the Natural Resources Committee. They'll leverage hard on uh, direction that they want certain uh, certain bills and certain decision-making processes to happen. Those non-confirmed commissioners sitting waiting to, you know, kind of meld into the process for a six-year program, they're going to get leveraged from these senators that want to see things in a certain direction. And the whole thing just, you know, smells a rat. It's like you can't have good faith negotiations and come to agreements on things when there's too much power on one political side to direct the outcome of some of these decision-making processes. So this is another one that Tommy and I certainly don't want to see uh, move through. Another one I want to uh, touch on here before we get to your final one that you had brought up at the beginning of the segment, House Bill. So not only are we getting it from the Natural Resource Commission, uh, Committee on the Senate side, but the House is also bringing uh, items forward. This one here is concerning because, as you had mentioned, this is going to – they're trying to unravel the successes – that you and a number of folks had a hand in, including your the co-managers with the tribes, in successfully removing the science review process in HSRG. So this one here, House Bill 1653, improving statewide coordination in support of an adramus fish recovery. Now, on the surface, that sounds like a pretty interesting title with a lot of uh, positive things to come out of it. But when you drill down on it, the Governor's Salmon Recovery Office should and they've scratched, be created, it says, should provide overall coordination of the state's response. An independent science panel, and they scratched, is needed, they put in, shall provide scientific review and oversight. In other words, we're bringing in third-party oversight and review, which we removed. It's a, it's just an absolute mess. Now we're, we're trying to be progressive and move forward with hatchery programs and all the things you and other folks, as I mentioned, were successful in removing to stop roadblocking, wasting money, wasting time, move progressively forward with hatchery reform, adding more fish where it's granted to do so through knowing all the processes that you are so well uh, informed on. And now we want to what? Bring it back to a third party review, scientific review, reinstall HSRGs. This to me and Tommy smells like nothing but a money grab, putting persons into positions, lobbyists getting in there, muddying it up slowing the process, nobody wins. Let's, let's not forget about shutting down hatchery production because who's <laughs> going to end up in there is going to be the Washington Academy of Sciences. Yes. And we went through the whole HSRG process and we sat through meetings with WSAS and, you know, some of the things that really irritated me is this was the public process and we were at meeting number one told we could all go into meeting number two down in Seattle with the Washington Academy of Sciences who they hired to do the study. Well, guess what? We get down to about the week before and none of us have gotten a call. We're asking about, you know, getting in on this meeting. And finally we get in and we get through and they said, Oh, we don't have room for everybody. We just have this really small room. So we're not going to have all the public and this and that. And it's like, Oh yes, you are. (laughs) And so we, uh, we, we blew the door down basically is what we did to get in. And they, they did not have anything but university of Washington type, um, professors on this. So we alerted the tribes and the tribes got two pro hatchery people on this panel. And Frank Urabek got Ernie Brandon out of Idaho. That's mm. pro hatch. Mm. So basically you already had the, the deck stacked. And when we got the acceptance back in, guess who the first two people on the list were? Wild Fish Conservancy. We fell in after them. So if we hadn't been there, I mean, we saw some things happen. We all witnessed some things that should have never happened between the vice chair of HSRG, the scientists. We saw a lot of things happen. It was, it was quite, quite concerning. And so this is why we're not giving up because there is a huge coup takeover of our fisheries and the power of WDFW, it all all lies around hunting and fishing. If they can take this over, they can have the power, we can stop the hatcheries. We just got $400 million for hatchery production from Cantwell's office. Right. Thank you. And we got Noah that's gonna put money in 
that's going to bring fish back for the orcas. We, we fought two years of our lives on the orca task force, five years of our lives fighting this. And now it's coming back. Those guys took our funding. You know, mm. if, if you look at salmon recovery, it's a perfect perpetual funding mechanism. Right. They don't have to go fight for their money. It just continually flows, but there's no, no goal line. Just, just, this is probably one of the most important things I'm ever going to tell you. There's no money in recovered salmon. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Across the finish line, the money's gone. Right. Why would you, if you have a $150,000 a year job, $200,000 and you do this, why would you want to recover it? Right. Why would you want to cross the finish line? And, and I do want to say we are working very well with the tribes on this. We're yeah. side by side on this and nice. they're helping us very well. Good to hear. Uh, yeah. Before we get out of here, let's uh, let's break down that last bill you uh, mentioned, the House Bill, I believe. Uh, another one yeah. that uh, is concerned. House Bill 2707, and um, it does the same thing. It comes in and makes a new a new task force, another third party, mm-hmm. and which is a no. So all these are no's. If people want to go on to our uh, PugetStownAnglers.org website, it's on the front page. You can click on the on the bill. You can see we wrote down kind of a little explanation. The bill is in there. You can read the full bill yourself. And then there's another link that you can click and go right into the legislature and fill in opposed if you're opposed and the language you want to put in there. Yeah. But there's little samples in there. But this is this is very important. This is this is it, guys. I mean everything. If we lose this, we're done. I mean, it's gonna go away. And I you know, we're we're working with the tribes, uh Billy, you know the uh, we have the uh, riparian bill, the eighteen thirty nine mm-hmm. riparian bill, with uh, trying the Lorraine Loomis Act. You know, right. there's one on each side, and they're trying really hard to get this so we can get the riparian back. But we got to keep the fish here in time for the habitat. So when we got the fish coming back, they got a place to go. So we're we're supporting the Lorraine Loomis Act on the on the two bills, okay. and working intently with the tribes, and the tribes are working with us to try and help us kill these bills. Yeah, so, well, you know, it was uh, it kind of raised a red flag for Tommy and I as we reviewed a few weeks ago the 187 million dollar ask by uh, Governor Inslee uh, and all the parameters that were locked into that. And if you read through the lines in there, uh, there's definitely some information that kind of highlights. Uh, bringing back third-party review and some of the things we're speaking of this evening. So now we come out of lead session. They introduce these bills. The governor's already allocated funds f- to support some of this behavior. And you can kind of see the handwriting on the wall of where this is coming from and who's pushing it forward and kind of what the goal here is. You're right. We need to shut this stuff down on everything we've discussed this evening because any uh, any one of those, even, even a, in and of itself, could be detrimental to our ability to uh, recover fish, have opportunity on the water, uh, rebuild, bol- you know, bolstered hatchery programs, all the things we're discussing. So I appreciate your efforts. I know Tommy and I both appreciate Absolutely. your efforts and all the work you put in and how much you stay on top of this stuff. And, you know, we try to do our part by helping inform folks. This is why we like to get persons of your caliber on our show when this stuff is forefront and needs to get out there. And so for review quickly, uh, PSA put an announcement out there. They can go to Puget Sound Anglers webpage, click on the links. They can go to our Facebook page, click on the links, fill in their information, fill in the comments box, telling the uh, the various um, natural resources committees and whatnot to kill these bills, do not support them, and uh, do not move forward with them. Is that correct? Yes, and I really appreciate you guys putting this on there. I, I wish we were talking about fishing, yeah, or anything like that, right? And Man, I tell you, the, I, we were just talking about this. My friend Butch and I were just talking about this going, remember we used to just get through North of Falcon? We got that done and then we went fishing. Right. You know? Yeah. Man, this, is like, this is a full-time job. I yeah. already have a full-time yeah. job. Yeah. This, this one was bad. Yeah, you but got at least two full-time jobs. Yes, you do. Yeah. Yeah. With the passion yeah, well, that you have, the passion you have. Um <laughs> So, you know, and, and mentioning that real quick, too, you know, North of Falcon. So here we are in lead session. We have things that we're trying to keep a, keep a thumb on and uh, make sure that they go away. And then we'll, we're going to roll right into preseason forecasting, as you know, coming up here in February. That's going to ro- roll right into North of Falcon. Something tells me, Tommy, we're going to have Ron Garner on a couple more times before we even see the, the front edge of summer. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So going on behind the scenes oh, man. the average person can't even ha- have a clue what's going on but 
you know, the good thing is, is if we didn't have the tribes, this probably, this might go right on through. Yeah. So, yeah. Appreciate that. Appreciate your effort. Appreciate their efforts for sure in the co-management and uh, together, hopefully we can, uh, you know, show support of this uh, to, to get rid of it and move forward. And Hey, like you said, wouldn't we all rather just go fishing? Cause I think that's the goal here. Amen. So, Hey Ron, always a pleasure. Keep doing good things. Uh, continue your efforts there at Puget Sound Anglers as the president. And uh, things come up. You got uh, you got Tommy and I. Just call us up, and we'll uh, we'll get you back on the show to make sure folks are tracking and following what it is that's going on. That's going to unfortunately keep us off the water if we don't act on these measures. Yeah, we want to turn this around. We want to start building our fisheries where we're fishing more. Hundred percent. Mm-hmm. All right, sir. Yeah. Great to talk to you. We'll stay in touch. Take care, Ron. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank Have a good night. All right. There you go, Ron Garner, President of PSA. Get on PewterSoundAnglers.org. Check out what it is we were talking about this evening. Go to our Facebook page uh, on the posting I put up there, Tommy, with all the links. Yep, Pretty simple. You click on it. You can read the bill if you have some time to educate yourself. And then you can click on the link that opens it right up for the comments portion to let your senators know and your House representatives that sit on these natural resources committees to ensure that they hear from you because this is that vitally important. All right. Thomas, we have come to the end, my friend. Yes, we have. One mention quickly is uh, first week of February. We have the Sportsman Show coming up. Yes, we do. We are going to be down there uh, full force and tons of new swag. Shing has been spending our money on, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that. Yeah, only to uh, load up the inventory so that we have plenty to choose from. We got some really great stuff coming out, and we would love to see everybody come down to the Sportsman Show. Yes, mask mandate probably will still be in place. Fingers crossed. Maybe we follow Great Britain, man, and it just all goes away. I'm not going to hold my breath for Chances that Chances are not <laughs> yeah. probably going to happen, but there's wishful thinking. Yeah. We also want to get that uh, Area 10 open back up. I'm just uh, full of wishes, right? Yeah. So, uh, Sportsman Show, February 2nd through the 6th. We will be there each and every day. Uh, looking forward to seeing a lot of you folks that support us week in and week out. Come on down, say hi. Be great to see you, and uh, put some swag in the bag to send you home with. Help us support uh, ourselves here, Fish on Northwest, and what we do each and every week. So, with that, Tommy, going to call it a night. All right, let's do it. All right, man. Want to appreciate uh, all our guests tonight. Um, uh, Kyle Bushelman, of course, Willamette Valley Outfitters, and of course, just got off the phone with Ron Garner, PSA. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Fish on Northwest weekly podcast. I want to remind everyone that you can catch our weekly live stream show on our Facebook page and, of course, our YouTube channel every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. West Coast time. You'll get our insightful in-studio interviews, our extremely detailed how-to segments in the bait lab, the infield segments we bring to you when we're on the water or in the woods, and of course, our amazing cooking recipes in the kitchen with co-host Sherry England and chef Jeff Maxfield. Give us a follow on our Facebook page at Fish Hunt Northwest. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fish Hunt NW. Find us on Twitter and Instagram, and finally, Go to our webpage at www.fishhuntnw.com for all the latest and greatest info. Join us each week here on our podcast. Join us each week at our live production. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.